Hello and welcome to the Riff Raff podcast, hosted by Amy Baker and Rosie Edwards. We set up the Riff Raff to champion the work of debut authors and to provide guidance and support for those dreaming of one day being published themselves. This week we're chatting to Zinzi Clemens, author of the incredible What We Lose. We talk about writing a book with an unusual structure, knowing when to start over with a manuscript, and the importance of seeking guidance and feedback from other writers. for joining us on the Riff Raff podcast. Sure. It's, um, it's lovely to speak to you. Is it a sunny day there in LA? Uh, it might be later on, but it's still morning. It's still a little grey. Cool. There's hope. <laughs> hope yet. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like London, really. Zinzi, <laughs> <laughs> um, for those who haven't read What We Lose, um, can you tell us a little bit about what it's about? Um. Yeah, so... I guess plot-wise, it's about um, a young woman who loses her mother and um, basically how she navigates life after that, um, which is, is very simple. Sounds very simple um, because it's the book is a lot, a, a lot more about the kind of psychological and intellectual process of losing someone. Um, so it kind of goes, uh, deep into the narrator's psychology, um, and examines that process from, um, from that sort of standpoint. Yeah. So your book obviously covers a range of complex themes, race, grief, love, identity, sex, loads of stuff. Um, many of which have echoed your own personal experiences, but it isn't a memoir. Um, so how important do you think it is for authors to reveal parts of themselves and their experiences in the name of telling a story? Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I think that every writer has their own project. Um, and I, I think, I always think that there's room for people to do whatever they want. Um, I think that, um, if you're writing a book such as mine, um, about, um, some of these big issues like life and death and definitely if we're dealing with identity and some of those questions, um, I think it kind of it tends to make the narr- the narrative sort of resonate more if there's something of yourself in it. Um, but I hesitate to say that everyone should do that. Yeah. Was it quite was it quite easy for you to distinguish between what's your story, what the character's story is, or did you just intentionally just blur the lines? Um, I blurred the lines um, pretty much all the way through. Um, so for me, I, I never really thought about the line that much, um, really until like I was working like very late in the revision. Um, I just tried to tell the story and, um, the best way possible. And sometimes that meant, you know, kind of disappearing into a character. Um, and then I wasn't really paying attention to what was my story and what wasn't. I was just trying to, to write, write a good book. Which you have done. It's incredible. Thank you. And and this this it, for, though, for anyone who hasn't read it, it's not a traditional narrative. It's it's quite an unusual structure that's been described as experimental. Um, you use rap lyrics, academic blog posts, emails, photos, lots of different things. 
um, which really immerses you in in the narrative and in in the book and in Tandy's world, who's your main character. Do you think that um, the the sort of the era of the more traditional novel structure is over? Um, I mean, I definitely think that we're seeing a lot more books like mine now, um, increasingly so. Um, but I don't know, and I'm not sure I want it to be over, you know? Um, I think there's still, I still get a lot of pleasure out of, of reading a more traditional narrative. Um, and I think actually that's how most people still read, um, especially for things like, uh, genre literature and such. Um, so I, I don't think that that, that form will ever die out, but I think we'll continue to see more, um, so-called experimental works going forward so you i read um that you kind of had the sort of that sort of typical narrative structure and then you took it and you kind of like used index cards and cards and you kind of laid out each different scene and you kind of mixed it up it sounds like yeah that sounds like a fun kind of process was it was it difficult to kind of (laughs) the new narrative art to kind of reveal itself or did it just kind of make sense yeah so actually um the the more traditional book um was actually a different book Um, and I kind of threw that away and started on this one. So, um, there are a few pages in that old manuscript, um, that are in what we lose. Uh, but it was like such a small number of pages. I I couldn't really call it the same book. Um, and, um, what happened was, um, after I threw out that old manuscript, I started writing the new one and it was all in that form of these really short vignettes. Um, and it was actually exciting because uh, I've always worked in that form of collage is, is what it's called. I think the best kind of description. Um, and for me, it kind of combines um, a couple different sort of interests of mine. I'm also an editor uh, and I also used to be a visual artist and I used to assemble collages that way uh, in visual art. So um, that process of just switching the pieces around and um, coming up with experimenting with different orders um, lasted about a year. Um, I think towards the end of the year, I was getting frustrated because I couldn't figure out, you know, I couldn't crack the case basically. Um, but overall it was something that I really liked doing just, um, basically acting as the editor of my own manuscripts was a lot of fun for me. And and your process has been described, um, to Jenny Offal's book, Department of Speculation, which yeah. is this is Rosie speaking, by the way, and it's probably um, it's it's my favourite book of all time. And yours, oh, wow. yours is now a close second. And <laughs> oh, have, have you read it? Yeah, I actually I actually read about um, Offal's process, and that's where I got the idea to um, move the pages of the book around physically. Um, it kind of gave me permission to do something a little more out there when I read that. Um, and I totally just kind of stole it. <laughs> it. It works so well for the story that you're telling. Thank you. So, so of, um, prior to your mother becoming ill and sadly passing away, you you just mentioned you were writing that other novel. Um, so mm-hmm. and along with your agent, you kind of decided to scrap it and start What We Lose. Um, did mm-hmm. you have any kind of doubts about starting over completely? Like, and you know, and for anyone that any aspiring writers that are kind of slogging away working on a, a manuscript that yeah. they don't really feel is working, like, what kind of, you know, do you have any tips for them? 
Yeah, uh, that day when I realized what I had to do, that I had to throw the manuscript out, was like the worst and the best day. <laughs> How long had you been oh, working on it? <laughs> sorry, sorry? How long had you been working on it up to that point? Uh, a couple of years. Wow. Um, which, you know, be, you know, people can be working on a manuscript for 10 years and have to throw it in the trash. So it was really... This is the advice part. Um, it was really, really hard news to hear, and um, I felt terrible throwing it out um, because of how much work I put into it. But at the same time, um, at that point, I was the closest I'd been to um, the story that I was supposed to write. So I think you have to kind of, at the same time that it's really heart-wrenching, um, to do something like that, it helps to remember that you're when you throw out a lot of material, it's because you're figuring out what story you're going to write, and that's a really important part of the process. So don't don't be too daunted when that happens. And, and it all it all kind of informs in a way, right? We talked to a lot of authors who mm. everything that they've done up until the point of writing the book has, in some way, even in a really roundabout way, inspired their work. Mm. Did you find yourself being quite like energized by the sort of new project and kind of like you were like, okay, well, that obviously is sad and that's, you know, but now this is what I'm doing and sort of having that new sort of like burst of energy. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it was a combination of, of feeling like um, I wanted to, like I was excited to pursue that new project um, because really what made me realize that I had to do away with the old one was that like there was something exciting in those pages, those new pages. And I kind of, I knew it, you know, um, I just didn't want to admit it to myself. Um, but when I finally had the permission to focus on that and like, also I had, um, cause my agent was all also part of this process. Like I had the encouragement from her. Um, and she was just like, you know, just go crazy. Like, just make it as weird as you want to basically. Um, that was a really good moment. But at the same time, you know, I knew I had a lot of work to do, so I had to, I kind of just turned everything else off in my life and, and pursued it, um, you know, just really hard. Um, so yeah, I definitely felt like after that initial moment of like, despondence where I was like oh crap I have to throw this in the trash I did feel really energized do you, do you still have it filed away somewhere um definitely because I save I <laughs> save multiple drafts um but I haven't looked at it I think since I started the new version the new manuscript that's fair enough I think <laughs> yeah so, so you write um, a lot about you write, sex is quite a massive feature in this book, and um, so it's a topic that a lot of writers claim to really struggle with. Like I personally really just don't know how to possibly put that kind of stuff into words. So, what do you think mm. is the secret to writing good, authentic sex scenes? What's your approach? Um, I don't really think about it that much. I and I think that's probably the answer. Like. I mean, if you have to force yourself to write anything, usually it's not going to turn out great. You know, I think the reason why it probably works for me is because I don't think of it as a separate, as a separate kind, as a different kind of scene, you know? Or a big deal. Um, so, yeah. yeah, so when the manuscript, when the story calls for it, I just write it and I don't think about it too much, but 
you know, maybe if you're like really hesitating or it feels very wrong to you, maybe it's because maybe you don't need a sex scene in that part of the book, or maybe it can look like really different. Maybe it's like just one sentence that's very descriptive. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess it's when people feel like they have to do it and do it in a certain way is, 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 is not, you know, it's never going to turn out that well, really, if you're just forcing it. Yeah. 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 Like, like sex, like sex, yeah. sex itself. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Like sex itself. <laughs> totally. Um, moving on. Um, your, <laughs> your mentor is none other than Paul Beattie, author of Man Book Winner, The Sellout, which is a pretty cool person to have as your mentor. Super cool. Um, <laughs> do you think all aspiring writers would benefit from having a mentor? Um, and, it, and if you do, how, how do you go about finding one? Yeah, um, I I find it pretty difficult to imagine um, going through my career without uh, a mentor, um, and I actually have like a few of them. Um, Paul was definitely the most instrumental um, for me writing this book, um, but you know, I think obviously it's not something that's available to everyone. Um, I, I met Paul in my MFA program, and I think that's generally where it happens. Um, either in, or you guys call it an MA. Um, it's an MFA over here. Um, and uh, but you know, not everyone can go to an MFA program or can go to to university even. Um, so I hesitate to say again that like everyone needs one. Um, also, plenty of people have made it without one. But I think what's important is. Um, you know, I also have always read like writers' biographies and watched documentaries about writers for basically, you know, some kind of guidance about how I should go about my my writing life. Um, and even if you don't have somebody who, um, you know, can give you advice and and speak to you, I think like kind of looking back. Um, to how other writers you admire have like managed to accomplish the same thing um, and maybe taking cues from their life. Um, I think is always important because writing is, is such an unusual sort of lifestyle, you know, like your parents won't, unless your parents are writers themselves, they're not going to tell you anything you need to know about how to be a writer. It's a very unusual path. Um, so I say like, you know, definitely get it somewhere, but it's hard to, you know, it's hard for everyone to meet people um, who could act in that capacity. Have you have you always wanted to be a writer? Was this kind of always the plan from really young young age? Uh, no, not at all. Um, so I I wanted to be a doctor um, until I got to college, and um, I just couldn't do it anymore. I, I realized I didn't like it. <laughs> I like the idea. You know, as kind of everyone does. Um, I like the idea of being a doctor, but in practice, it was something very different. Um, and at the same time that I was doing that, I was also a visual artist, as I mentioned before. Um, and when I got to college, I just started like experimenting and um, taking all different kinds of classes. And one of those classes was a creative writing class. Um, and so it was, you know, I, I think if I hadn't taken that class, I've things may have turned out differently for me. Um, but I just kind of happened to come across it and discovered that I, you know, I liked it a lot and, um, I'd always liked reading, but it wasn't something that I, 
really, I even had a point of reference for, you know, my parents were both, uh, my, my dad was an engineer and my mom was a teacher and it was, you know, very out of our, our realm of experience that, you know, someone in our family would be a writer. Um, so it was, it was very unexpected for me. And, and you mentioned your MFA, which, as you said, we call an MA over here. And there's lots of mm-hmm. different, and you also mentioned, you know, just taking a creative writing course at college as well. Do you think mm-hmm. that writers need to go and study? Or do you think, you know, a writer's born or made? Mm. What I have noticed is um, in the past few years, it, it's become, I think, harder to publish a book and have a career as a writer without going into an MFA program, but that's not to say it's necessary. I think, um, that's sort of how the economy of writing is moving right now, but it hasn't been like that for a very long time. Um, you know, I think every writer has to have a certain amount of talent, um, and they have to train in some way. That's, it doesn't matter how much talent you have. Uh, and how many books you've read, you still have to put in a certain number of hours, um, write a certain number of pages. Um, so I think it's really, it's both. I mean, you have to have an aptitude for words and for writing. Um, but everyone needs to train, um, in order to write a book or write a good short story. How do you think your kind of background as a visual artist has helped you with, with the writing you know is there any how do you yeah how do you think that's helped mm. well it's definitely informed like my particular style um because obviously my book is very visual yeah um <clears throat> but in terms of you know um I guess me, making me more predisposed to being a writer um I think it makes me a better writer um because I'm able to sort of envision scenes and and write them out that way um I think I have a certain facility with with images that um some other writers don't so it's something you know it comes sort of innately to me um and yeah I think it 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 gives me something um that uh you know certain aspects of technique that I think other writers maybe have to work a little bit harder at um but that said there are some things that you know I have a harder time with that other writers um, it comes more easily to them because I do tend to think in images and, and not in other ways. Do you kind of, um, when you're, pl- do, if, are you a planner? You know, do you map out kind of like a, a, a plot and then, or do you have kind of like a visual plot that you kind of follow or do you just go with the flow? Um, for this book, I really went with the flow. Um, I started from, I started writing the vignettes um, and a couple of them actually started out as like journal entries. And then it was more the, the process of, um, ordering the text that I talked about earlier. Um, that was how I kind of imposed some structure on it. But from the beginning, no, it was, um, I was just, I was just going with it. <laughs> I was just writing. Cool. And you have a second book on the way. Can you tell us anything about that or is it too soon? Um, it's pretty soon, but I can tell you a little bit. Um, so, um, I, uh, Viking bought two books for me, um, when they bought this novel. Um, and, um, I've, you know, at this point, 
Um, they've left it open whether it's, you know, can be fiction or nonfiction, but at this point, I'm pretty sure it's going to be an essay collection. Okay, cool. That sounds yeah. really interesting. Um, oh, do you have like a publication date for that or we just have to... Not yet. Paper, is it? Okay, cool. <laughs> that's as much as I can give you. Okay, cool. No, that's, that's better than nothing. <laughs> that's all well. I have. Yeah. It's good to know there's something on the way. <laughs> um, and what advice would you give to aspiring writers, anyone who's listening, who's got 10,000 words or even just an idea? What What's your kind of takeaway? What would you tell them? Um, it's really... It's really tough, but uh, just keep going no matter what. You're going to want to give up many times, but don't listen to that voice. Listen to yours, telling us to keep going. Listen to my voice. <laughs> you, you, you teach creative writing, don't you? So, like, is that kind of. Yes. Do, do you find. What do you kind of find are the, major, the main sort of like gripes that people have? Like, the sort of major sort of like blocks in the road? Like, are there any kind of particular, particularly sort of like common things that you have to help your students overcome? Yeah, um, the idea that they should be writing in a certain way, uh, I think that tends to really shut people down creatively um, when they think that a story has to look a certain way or they have to write for a, from a certain perspective. So I always just really try to encourage students, first of all, to to um, kind of cast off as many expectations as they can. Um, and I think that also kind of it, it leads into like self-confidence. Um, and if you're really questioning, uh, your ability or, um, you know, whether you feel like you have the right to, to write about something, um, you're not going to write well. So I try and make them feel, you know, as confident and, and as free as possible. And that generally tends to help them open up and, and really deliver. Yeah. And, and obviously there's, there's, there are so many important themes in this book. And so who do you hope finds it? You know, who you obviously have a target audience in mind, but who do you hope finds it and loves it? Um, well, I think there, there are two main audiences and they definitely overlap a lot. Um, number one, um, sort of people who have a, a similar identity or a similar experience of identity, you know, people who feel like they don't, fit in well, um, and the other audiences, um, you know, people who have gone through a similar experience, um, having lost someone. Um, and, uh, I've had a lot of people who, uh, belong in either or both of those groups. And those are, you know, the, the kind of responses that I most value is when people can like connect with the material and, and see themselves in it. Absolutely. Well, it's a really incredible book. Thank you for writing it and thank you for speaking to us thank today. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so Thanks much. Thanks a lot. Thank you all. Have a lovely day. You too. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye. The Riff Raff Podcast is hosted by co founders Amy Baker and Rosie Edwards. Come say hey at the riffraff.com. 